So again, tonight, our study is Exodus 23, verses 1 through 13. We're in the book of Exodus there again. It has two divisions. Verses 1 through 9 are justice for all. And then verses 10 through 13 is the law of the Sabbaths. So let's do a little background before we get into those scriptures. Pastor Henry led at the start of this series in chapter 20 with the Ten Commandments. God, through Moses, began to lay down rules and expectations for the Israelites if they were to be his people and he their God. Until that point, the Israelites had seen God work many miracles and wonders before him, before them. And the only requirement was to follow Moses, his prophet. And so we look at Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 13, uh, verses 10 through 12. It tells us, it gives us a picture of what, of who and what Moses did. It says, but since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. It's right here in black and white. It says, whom the Lord knew face to face. So figure that one out. In all, the, in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, before the Pharaoh, before all of his servants, and in all of his land, and by all the mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. So the Lord sent Moses, and the Israelites had to trust Moses and believe that he was sent by God. And God also asked them, this point to believe who he was who is God who is this God that sent Moses so this is a requirement He's, what does he say over in Exodus three fourteen, and God said to Moses I am who I am I gotta stop there for a minute because that that little phrase right there when I was a kid that just stopped me dead in my tracks because it's such an absolute is such an absolute I am there's no question about it no no getting around it the Lord says I am and he says who I am and he said thus you shall say to the children of Israel I am has sent me to you moreover God said to Moses thus you shall say to the children of Israel the Lord of your, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So those are the two things they started out with. An acceptance of Moses as God's prophet and leader, and also the acceptance that God was a God of their, their forefathers, Isaac and Jacob, and he is the God <clears throat> um, that had made a covenant with them. This is the same God. Now, if only the children of Israel had accepted God with childlike obedience and confidence, the story of Exodus may have been quite different because we know, we know they roamed the desert for quite some time because they, they were disobedient and they didn't take God at his word and his promise. We do the same thing, right? I mean, I don't, I'm, I'll speak for myself, but I don't know about you guys, but I'm guilty. There are times when uh, the, 
the Lord, uh, I need to lean on the Lord's promises and my knees get a little bit weak. No doubt about it. But if the Israelites had followed his promises and, and believed in him, things might have been a little bit different. So they were destined to roam the desert for a while. Now, the laws given in these chapters become what is the Mosaic Covenant. And the Lord will continue to remind the Israelites all through the Old Testament who he is and what he has done for them. Over in Exodus 20, 20 uh, uh, verse 2, he says it. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. The Israelites will forget that and they will call upon his name to rescue them from their wickedness. God will remind them every time he answers their cry. So if you read the book of Judges, right? It's like this, isn't it? Israel. Israelites are going in and out of trouble. And they call on God. They get into trouble. They call on him. And he always reminds them, hey, I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God that brought you out of bondage. He constantly reminds them of that because they need to remember. If you look at Judges chapter 6, verses 7 and 10, here's what it says. This is an example. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, because of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the land of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So there they were in trouble again, but he reminds them who he is again. So we're going to study these verses from the law. This is the Mosaic law. If we're going to study these verses, I believe, and I, I, I feel compelled by the Spirit, we need to keep a perspective and understand the old Mosaic covenant versus the new covenant in Christ Jesus. We Exodus shadow, the Old Testament foreshadows the new. I think we need to keep that in perspective. I mean, we could just read these, we could just read these verses, but we need to keep in perspective what's happened here and what's going on. The Mosaic Covenant dealt with the letter of the law. Either you conform to the law or else. Right? For example, look at Exodus 23, 20, and 21. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. That is what God said to the children of Israel following the giving of the law. Contrast that with Jesus in Luke 22.20. Likewise, it says, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So we have, on the one hand, we know the law is good. And the law keeps people straight. They needed it, right? Show them how bad they were. 
But over here, under the new covenant, we have Jesus saying he shed his blood for us. Over here in the old covenant, God is basically saying, I'm going to shed your blood if you don't do what I tell you to do. That's what it says. Keep that contrast in mind. So we have a new and better covenant in Christ Jesus. The new covenant is based in the spirit of the law with Christ Jesus as our propitiation, our high priest, and our mediator. He has made atonement for our sins, past, present, and future. It is this better covenant that allows us to call upon his name in our weakness. Paul explains it best in Romans 8, 1 through 5. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin and flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Again, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So having said that, we have to go and see what Jesus said. Um, because people, there are a lot of people out there, and we were talking about it a little while ago, there are a lot of people out there who say, well, we don't live under the law anymore. And, uh, you know, you need to put up with a lot of stuff out there. You need to be kind and gentle because we don't live under that mean old law anymore because Jesus took care of that for us. Well, he did, but he didn't do away with it. Let's see what he said. What did he say over in Matthew 5, 17? Do not think that I came to destroy, destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by, by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the law is still there. It's not gone. Didn't go away. You and I are not capable of fulfilling the law. The Israelites proved that. We're not capable of it in our flesh. We're going to fall down. There's no doubt about it. But in Christ... In the spirit and in his power, he has fulfilled that and he's also given us the strength to war against the flesh. As always, the Old Testament confirms and foreshadows the New Testament. Look at Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. Here's what the Lord said. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So think about that. God said he will write his law on our minds and on our hearts. So it's not copied in stone like it was when, when Moses handed it off, handed the old covenant off or the old the, the law to the uh, Israelites. Our mind and our hearts. So keep that in mind. So now I'm going to go through and let's read these. Let's read the text. Let's read the, the scriptures. And then we'll come back to them and then we'll put some interpretation and application to each one of them and see how it works. So justice for all, one through nine. You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert, pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy's ox or donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not, do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. This verse is 1 through 9, justice for all. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, 10 through 13 also, and then we'll come back to them. 10 through 13, change a bit, but we're still talking about flesh and spirit here. So verse 10 starts, six years you will sow your land and gather its produce. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow. The poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beast of the field may eat. In like manner, you should do with your vineyard or your olive grove. Six days you shall do your work. And on the seventh day, you shall rest. That your ox and your donkey may rest. And the son of your female servant may rest. And the stranger may be refreshed. And lastly, 13. And all that I have said to you, be circumspect. And make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. All right. So now, let's go through these laws and think about this as you approach them. In that, do you see them, do you see these laws first from 
the flesh or do you see them from the spirit? Grace versus the flesh and the law. What's your first inclination? Here's the bottom line. Flesh versus spirit. That's, what we, that's what's going on here. The old covenant was the letter of the law. The new blood covenant is the spirit of the law. The best example comes from Jesus in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. Now, <clears throat> for, for us men, it's a rough verse, I think. So let's read it. It's what Jesus said. This is a great example of flesh and spirit, I think. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So under the old covenant, if you commit adultery and they caught you, you got stoned. It was lights out. But if you didn't get caught, nobody knew. You didn't get stoned. But what Jesus says, in your heart, if you did this in your heart, you, it's just as bad as if you did it. That's what he's saying. That's pretty tough. That's flesh versus spirit. So where's your spirit? It's tough, I know, right? Especially for us guys, it's tough. But we can't, we don't, we, we don't, we shouldn't despair because Christ again is our high priest and he intercedes for us and has made atonement for us forever with his blood from now on always. And then we need to remember that it's war. It is war. It is flesh and spirit. It is war. Because here's what Paul said. Remember, 2 Corinthians, everybody knows this one. 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war, war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. And here's the, here's the, here's the close bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So that's what Jesus is talking about. Yeah, I know about the flesh. So you don't do it in the flesh. But what's in your heart? It's actually a higher standard. If you think about it, it's a higher standard. It really is. But he's not leaving you without weapons. He didn't leave you without weapons to fight that, and he didn't leave you without his, his uh, atoning for you. So, keep that in mind, flesh versus spirit. So let's go in now and have a look at these verses, one by each. Um, see what we got. Number one, remember, you shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. So, how do you... How do you first approach that? Do you approach it from the flesh side that says, I'm going to lie along and tell lies along with the rest of these people? Or is the first thing that comes to your mind, hey, that ain't right. I'm not going to be involved in that. Which is it? 
Just something to think about. And this law, it seems like it's pretty straightforward. But let's look at some, some uh, references in the Bible about it. Over in the Old Testament, Psalms 101.5, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him will I destroy. So you can't go in the back room and talk about that guy or a lady or whatever in secret. Can't do that. Even though nobody knows you did it, God knows you did it, you know you did it, and you know what the results are going to be. But here it says, him I will destroy. That's, that's, that's law stuff there. Pretty clear. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him, will I, will, him I will not endure. So again, we're talking flesh versus spirit. So here's another example from Matthew over in Matthew 26, verse 59. Jesus showing us again. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But none, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at least two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I'm able to I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. That's what they said. Jesus said, well, now we all know Jesus didn't say that. And we know what he meant when he said, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days because that's what he did. He died on the cross and he rose in three days. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. And he didn't say that temple. He said, destroy this temple. But you see, it's an example of people piling on the priests, the elders piling on in secret scheming against Jesus and then coming out and doing it in public too. It's, this is an example of, of, uh, of that case. Now <clears throat> this was <laughs> today's politicians. I've got it written here. Today's politicians seem to live by breaking this law constantly. Washington DC is full of examples. So is the media. If Moses were around today, they all would be stoned to death. There's no doubt about it. Now, so so in Washington, and I, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, but in Washington, X calls them all rats. He says the rats got their long tail. They all got tails, some longer than the others. But what happens in Washington is they're all standing on each other's tails. Everybody standing on each other's tails. So if one guy raises his hand to start to tell the truth, the guy behind him presses on his tail. Oh, I bet not. So that's what's going on there all the time. Let's look at verse two. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. How do you approach that one? Flesh or spirit? What comes to your mind first? Now, Noah certainly didn't follow the crowd, did he? Right. He preached for 100 years or so. He didn't follow the crowd while they were laughing at him, talking about it's not going to rain. What are you doing? So here's what the Lord said to Moses in Genesis 7, 1. Then the Lord said to, to excuse me, Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now, Moses didn't follow the crowd. He was righteous. So I don't. I don't want to offend anybody here when what I'm about to say, but 
I can't think of a better example than this. You remember Ferguson, Missouri? You guys remember the riots going on? Lots of people followed a lying crowd. They told a big lie there, a big lie. And some people testified in public about it. Clearly lying. That's what this is talking about. Now, maybe we're not in such a big thing as Ferguson, Missouri, but in our lives every day, you know, we got to be careful. And I know the spirit moves on you. The spirit convicts you before you do something, right? I mean, it does. Those of you who are in Christ, you understand that. If you're not in Christ, you need to get in Christ so you do understand that. But, you know, I, I, I know the spirit convicts us. But it's there. It's there. There's examples of it every day. Here's one. Verse 3. You shall not show partiality to a partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Now, I, when I read that one, I was like, wow, we, that's not right, right? We want to we take care of the poor, which we should, and we want to give them a leg up sometimes. Just give the poor guy a leg up and a, and a extra, little bit of extra opportunity, right? At first glance, that's what it feels like, to me anyway. But listen to Moses in Deuter Deuteronomy 1.17. He explains it. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall not. You shall hear the small and the great. So he's talking to the guys that he's anointing to go out and, and help him, him run things. He's telling them, you shall, you shall hear the small as well as the great. That's what this is talking about. You shall not be afraid in, um, in any man's presence for the judgment is God's. The case that's too hard for you, bring to me and I will hear it. So, what, so what, what this verse is really saying is, is no matter what your stature in life, if you're involved, you got to tell the truth. You got to put everybody on the, on the same playing field. That's what God does for us, right? You got murderers, rapists, all kinds of stuff over here. And then you got, these are, we consider these the really bad guys. And then you got guys over here that aren't so bad. You know, they, I don't know, they steal, I don't know, whatever they do. So we kind of, society wants to do this. Well, these, forget about these guys. We'll take care of these guys. No, God puts us all on the, on the same playing field. And he says, I will forgive you. Treats us all the same. Nobody better than the other. And that's what this is. That's the, that's the principle here, and that's what Moses is talking about. Over in verse 4, now, <laughs> here's a good one. We ought to get some good example here. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. So I thought about this one. Most of us don't have oxes or donkeys anymore, and you don't see them running up and down the street. So I thought about the neighbor's dog. If you see the neighbor's dog, that obnoxious neighbor that you don't like, this dog running down the street, and you know that dog cost him a lot of money. Are you going to go, <laughs> you'll never see that dog again. <laughs> right, exactly. Or do you say, let me go tell him, or maybe you can go get the dog and bring it back. What do you do? 
If he's a pit bull, well, I don't think the Lord wants you to be foolish either. You go and tell him, I saw your pit bull running down the street, right? But if it's a little pinkanese, you can go grab him and bring him back. Yeah. But that, uh, th- that, that one, uh, that one's pretty straightforward. That one, that one's pretty straightforward. Um, even so, even so, there's a couple of scriptures. There's a couple of them here. There's pretty good reasons. Uh, over in Romans 12, 19 and 21, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So it's not up to you to say, let the dog go. Serves him right. That's God's province to do that. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap hot, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not, do not be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I think that story about the, the part about the hot coals is people used to carry coals on their head. Is that right? For fire. And they, you know, they had a fire person that kept the, kept, uh, their job was to keep the fire going. And they kept coals hot so that they could get the evening fire started. So I think that's what that means when it says you're going to heap hot coals. It's like you're going to, here, here's some. Here's some hot coals for you to have, have your evening fire. The issue is overcome evil with good. That's the point here. And then don't forget Psalms, uh, excuse me, Proverbs um, 15, 1 and 18. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stir, stirs up anger. A wrathful man stirs up strife. But he who is slow to anger allays contention. So how do you approach that when you see that situation in your life? Just just something to think about. Do you see it from the flesh? I think I'll let him drown or I need to reach in and give him a helping hand. Which is it? Verse 5. If you see the donkey of one who hates you, says who hates you. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, uh uh-uh, you shall surely help him with it. So it's the same situation again, right? So there's that obnoxious neighbor, the one that you really hate or he hates you. And you see him and his car is stalled. And he's trying to get to work. What are you going to do? Do you go, yeah, probably lose his job? No, you should pull over. Can I give you a push? Can I give you a ride to work? That's what we're supposed to do. I'm, I'm guilty too. I know what we all think sometimes, but this is what Jesus would have us do. He would have us approach this from the spirit. Let me help you. Even though we don't like each other, you need help. Because that's how God sees all of us. God doesn't look at us and go, man, that guy's rotten. I have no grace for that guy. This guy over here, he's okay. I got grace for him. But I don't have any grace for that guy. Nope. 
His grace is sufficient for all of us, no matter what. All right. Oh, I have a verse for you. Anybody want to guess what verse goes along with that one? The one they call the golden rule? Well, close. That's it. Do you want, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. That's talking about that Mosaic law. But you can approach it from the flesh if you'd like, you know, to your own detriment, or you can approach it from the, from the uh, spirit. And this, this is the one, like I said, this is the one the secular world calls the golden rule. A lot of people say that, and they don't know this is, a, this is a law in the Bible. This came from the Bible. They think that's some wise, secular guy that, that came up with that. All right, number seven, keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent. And righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. And then here's what Paul says to the. Uh, here's what Paul says to the Ephesians, Ephesians 4:25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That's what Paul said to do. Don't engage in lies and falsehoods. And what do you do when you're Confronted with a lie. Do you walk away and not speak the truth? If somebody comes to you with something that's not politically correct, I'm guilty. I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not accusing us, other people. I'm guilty. But I'm saying we need to think about this. What do we do when somebody approaches us, you know, and they're not in the Lord? Do we just accept that stuff that they espouse or do we push back? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He said over in Luke 12, 49, this is what Jesus, this is harsh. This is harsh. I think it's harsh, but it's because it's not politically correct. But this is what Jesus said. I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. So when he got, now he's saying, I got here. I came here to do this. And if it was left to me, I'd set fire to this. And have you guys all divided up right now because it's bad. But he says, but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division for from now on five in one house will be divided three against two. And two against three, father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's what Jesus said. Jesus came to tell the truth, not to be politically correct. Some people were here and some people won't. If you share the gospel with people or push back on some activity that's not right, some people will get mad at you, some won't. 
It's just the way it is. That's what Jesus says. He didn't come here to be politically correct. I'm sure we've all been there. Here we've got the holidays coming, right? It can be a big problem when families come together to celebrate. How will we confront the issues of liquor, salvation, religious doctrine, and secular doctrine, like things like abortion, because those subjects come up. So how do we do that? Families come together, and this stuff starts to happen over the holidays. How, how will you approach it? Now, <clears throat> I'll tell you a real quick story. I'll run out of time, but I've got to tell you this story. Um, we had a party at our house. A bunch of, it was, Roberta was doing something with a bunch of ladies. And um, long story short, I walked through the kitchen, and somebody had a bottle of wine on the sink, and they had popped the cork on it. And I just, I, knee-jerk reaction, I took that bottle of wine and I poured it down the, down the sink. I didn't know whose wine it was, I just poured it down the drain. And so one, and the ladies were standing, they came back and they said, who poured the wine out? And they said, did you pour it? I said, yeah, I did, I poured it out. And I didn't really think about it until that moment in time. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I said, I, you know, maybe I could get you another bottle that you could take home, but we don't drink here, which I should not have done. Later on, one of the ladies, after that party was over, she said to me, I'm so glad you did that. Because when they come to my house, I try not to get them to drink. But from now on, when they come, I'm going to tell them no drinking here. Don't bring, don't bring your liquor with you. So you see, people are watching. People are watching. I'm not patting myself on the back. But it was a knee-jerk reaction, and I, I, give, the, I give the glory to God for that. It wasn't because I was a good guy. It was because the Spirit was pulling my coattail, saying, hey, get rid of that. Get rid of that. Okay? Verse 8. You shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. This means you and I. And I, I wouldn't call myself discerning or righteous, but I am in Christ Jesus. And this is what 2 Corinthians said. He, he, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we have the spirit. We have righteousness in Christ Jesus. So here's the bottom line. When you take a bribe, you get something else with a bribe. If you take a bribe, you get a debt along with a bribe. Remember them rats in Washington, everybody stand on each other's tail. Lots of bribes. Everybody got some, their foot on somebody's tail. And nobody gets anything done. So if you take a bribe, Sooner or later, you don't have to pay. You have to make good on that. Somebody's got something on you now, right? So don't take bribes. Don't do that. Verse 9, you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So this was, this was probably, that verse is probably the only verse that I took a chance on, I, I thought, I'll just tell you what I think. And I won't go looking around in the Bible for confirming scriptures. Because I felt so strongly about this one. So we, didn't, we haven't been, I mean, there's people around in this audience that have been to Egypt, I'm sure. But <clears throat> we didn't, we weren't, we weren't in bondage in e Egypt like the Israelites. But 
we've all come that way because there was all the time when we didn't know the Lord and we were straying, right? We've all been there. And so the purpose, I believe, of this, the spirit of this law is don't become so high and mighty when you see somebody who's not walking in the spirit, who doesn't know the Lord to look down on them, right? Grab hold of them and help them. We're supposed to snatch our brothers from the fire. So that's what this is about. Bring them into the kingdom of God. Help them. Help them get to know Christ. Okay. <laughs> okay, verses 10 through 12. Um, verses 10 through 12, we can do together. We can, we can brunch them together because they're all talking about the same thing. Six years you shall sow your land and gather its produce, but in the seventh year you should let it rest and lie fallow. The poor of your, of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field will eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Twelve, six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. So this, <laughs> this, is a, this is wonderful because this is a great law, but it's about remembering. I mean, it's not, you know, God didn't give Moses this law because he looked down on the Israelites and thought, well, they're working real hard, so we need to give them Saturday off. That wasn't the point, no. The point is about remembering, remembering what God did. Look at Genesis 20, 8 through 9, 8 and 9. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but in the seventh day the Sabbath of the Lord, Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gate. For, for in six days the, the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, Sabbath day and hallowed it. This is what this is about, to remind the Israelites who God is and what he's done. That's the whole idea behind this, is not to give them Saturday off. And how wonderful, it, I've written here, how wonderful it was that all they had to do was rest and trust in God. God would ensure that they had enough produce to carry them through the Sabbath. There was no reason to doubt. He taught them to depend on divine providence in the desert with enough manna for each day. And when they tried to store the manna, what did he do? It spoiled and they, they had to throw it away. God directed them to co collect only enough for the day's meal so that they learned to de depend on him for, for their needs. So I cheated on this one a little bit. So, how many people know what the Jubilee year is here? Oh, okay, okay. 49. Okay, so let me, let me enlighten some of you. All right, I'm cheating here. I'm, I'm kind of going off this way, but let, let's do it. So, this is a long passage. Le, uh, Leviticus uh, 25 
8 through 8 through 17 and then 25 18 through 22 let me let me read it and you shall count seven sabbaths of years for yourself seven times seven years that's 49 and the time of the seventh and the time of the seven sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years then you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the 10th day and the 7th month on the day of atonement you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land and you shall consecrate the 50th year so that's got the 49th year and then the 50th year is when you actually celebrate it you proclaim liberty liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants it shall be a jubilee for you and each of you shall return to his possession and each of you shall return to his family the 50th year shall be a jubilee to you in it you shall you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord nor gather grapes of your untended vine for it is a jubilee it shall be holy to you you shall eat its produce from the field in this year of jubilee each of you shall return to his possession and if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor neighbor's hand you shall not oppress one another according to the number of years after the jubilee you shall buy from your neighbor and according to the number of years you shall sell shall sell to you so it's like a prorate it's like a prorate so it's not maybe it's not exactly 49 but there's been a number of years passed so you based on that you lop off all all of that additional costs uh, to your neighbor according to the multitude of years you shall increase its price and according to the fewer number of years you shall diminish diminish its price for he sells to you according to the number of years of crops therefore you shall not oppress one another but you shall fear your God for I am your, the Lord your God so he gave him this wonderful period of rest all they had to do was rest and go ah it's the jubilee year. I don't have to tend the grapes, and there's going to be plenty of pro. It's time of celebration in remembrance of God and what he's done and what he did and his creation. That's what it was about. It was a perfect economy, too. In Washington, we, they just keep spending, 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 spending. Deficit goes up, deficit goes up. One of these days, it's going, somebody's going to have to deal with it. Somebody's going to have to deal with it. The Israelites had to deal with it because you know what they did? They forgot about this jubilee. It became cause for the Israelites being taken into captivity. I'm almost done, guys. We're getting there. This jubilee became a cause for the, ignoring this jubilee became cause for the Israelites being taken into captivity. Look at Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 36, 20 to 21. And those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the, wor the Lord, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath. To fulfill 70 years. So Nebuchadnezzar. Right. Came and captured and took away. The Israelites into captivity. He kept them there. And the Lord counted those years. Did you guys. Have ignored my Sabbaths. 
You bought, you sold, you kept on going, you ignored me, you didn't remember me, now you're going to pay for it. So this law of the Sabbath seems like it's innocent, but this is a big deal because it's about remembering the Lord and who he is and what he's done. Getting close. As I said, the Israelites became greedy and forgot to remember. They worked the land continually, exploited it. All it produced and the people along with it, remember the slaves were supposed to get some rest and be released. So there's a question for us today. How do we walk today? Now, there's some of you out there that's as old as I am. But I can remember a time when there was nothing. I'm telling you, you younger, younger guys, there was a time when there was nothing open on Sunday. You get up in the morning on Sunday morning, you could go to church, but you could barely buy gas. You had to remember, you know, there were certain gas stations that were open on Sunday. Most, can you imagine that? All the gas stations closed? They were closed. And you definitely didn't go shopping at the mall. That didn't happen. No banks. No, you didn't go do money. You didn't, that was, that's where we were. That's called, now, even though we weren't under the law of the Sabbath in those days, when that was going on, that's called the spirit of the law. So we set aside Sunday, not Saturday. Saturday is the real Sabbath for the Jews. But we set aside a day for the Lord. We said, you know what? We're not going to do anything on this day. That was walking in the spirit of the law. Are we doing it today? No. No, you can bank. You can do what you can get a haircut on Sunday. Can't get no Chick-fil-A. You can't go to Hobby Lobby either. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. So the. You get that one. You get you get the law of the Sabbath, and you get you got some history behind that, and and the jubilee. My wife and I are in our 49th year, so I keep beating my chest, saying, "Hey, we're in our jubilee year," you know. So here we go. Um, so as I said, Saturday was the real Sabbath because that's the day the Jews had for a Sabbath. But the disciples remembered to keep a day holy. And they met on the first day of the week, as it says in Acts 27, 20 verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to go to the party the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So they, they met on Sunday the first day. That was their day they set, apart, set aside. And then Jesus in Luke twenty two nineteen, he said that he took bread and gave thanks to it and broke it and gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Okay. So we're coming up on the last verse. All right. Verse 13. This is the cap. He says, Moses says, the Lord said, and in all that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods nor let it be heard from your mouth. And all that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the word of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. So this is another one I took some, some liberty with. I'm sure there's scripture out there that can uh, confirm this and, and help you understand it. But you know what? 
the word, there's one word you need to take away from this. I, I believe there's one word to take away from this tonight, and that, that is circumspect. I looked up the definition of circumspect, and here it is. Wary and unwilling to take risk. Be careful in what you hear or say. Circumspect. And here's some synonyms that you can look up to go with it. Cautious, wary, careful, guarded, on one's guard, watchful, alert, attentive, heedful, vigilant, leery, and cagey. So this last law, this is what Moses is telling us to do. And I know Paul tells us to do it also. Watch out. Hold captive the flesh. Listen to the spirit. As I was, I was writing this, um, I, was, I used the Vernon McGee Bible. And Vernon McGee had a definition of Exodus. And I didn't know this. Maybe you guys already know this. But Exodus means the way out. So the Exodus was the way out for the Israelites by the law. Our way out now is by the blood and power of Jesus Christ and the spirit of truth, not the law. The law without Christ will only condemn us. Where do you find yourself this evening? Are you walking in the flesh, struggling with the law? Are you walking in the spirit with Jesus Christ, putting on the full armor, the full armor of faith, and letting him fight, fight the battles for you? Let's pray. The Father... Again, we come before you uh, at the end of this uh, lesson, Lord, and we just thank you for the time together and thank you for your words and your, your admonitions, Father. And uh, again, just keep us, Lord, and hold us and remind us who we are in Christ. When we come across these issues uh, through our lives as men, the things that, that confront us out there, uh, Lord, remind us of who we are and what we have in Christ Jesus. And keep us, keep us safe, Lord. Go before us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.